Second Chronicles, chapter number 15, verse number 1. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa, Asa's the king, and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. In those times, there was no peace to him who went out or to him that came in. For great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city. For God troubled them with every sort of distress. But you, but you, take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. As soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Oded, he took courage and put away the detestable idols from all of the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim and Manasseh and Simeon who were residing with them, for great numbers had deserted to him from Israel when they saw that his, the Lord his God was with him. They were gathered at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of the reign of Asa. They sacrificed to the Lord on that day from the spoil that they had brought, 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. Here we go. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. But that who, whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, should be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. They swore an oath to the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and with horns. And all Judah rejoiced. Say that word with me. Rejoiced over the oath. For they had sworn with all their heart and had sought him with their whole desire, and he was found by them. And the Lord gave them rest all around. Father, bless us now with the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of revelation, the Holy Spirit unction on both the speaking, teaching, preaching, proclaiming, and also, Lord, the hearing and believing. In Jesus' name, And the church said, amen. You can be seated. I want to bring you a message that I've called Moving Ahead. It makes sense for this time of year. A lot of us are thinking about a new year that has come upon us. We're, we're, we're in that energy. This is that time of year, that season where a lot of people make those uh, dreaded New Year's resolutions that for most people are a, a colossal waste of time and energy and words. But for those of you that keep them, golf clap to you, amen, hallelujah, go on. But for most of us, those resolutions are typically good decisions made in the, the best intentions of the flesh, but they peter out around January 4th. They're, they're just done. There's something better than New Year's resolutions. 
There's something more substantial. There's something that will anchor your life, and then from that anchoring of your life will begin to transform your life on ever-increasing levels, if you will, simply live it out. What am I talking about? I'm talking about what we see demonstrated in the southern part of Israel in 2 Chronicles chapter number 15, after a great military victory, after a prophetic word from an unknown prophet, unknown anywhere else in Scripture, we'll talk about them in a moment, there is this thing that Israel did, Judah and Benjamin, the southern tribes, did this thing in the presence of Yahweh God, and it anchored them, and it brought great joy to their heart, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. Go back up into the first seven verses with me. Let's begin there this morning, and we're going to see three things, very simple things this morning. This is not a complex message today, but here's the first one, and it's, it's through a prophet, God speaks a word. How many of you know that God did not go mute on you when the Bible was completed? That yes, he speaks through the word, but he also, the Holy Spirit and the person of the power of the Holy Spirit, he continues to speak. He speaks according to the word, but he speaks to you. He is willing to be your teacher, your master, you being his disciple, him being your perpetual tutor. Not only is he your Lord, but he loves to be an instructing God in your life. And in order to do that, God speaks and he knows your language. He knows your accent. He knows the way you're able to learn and able to hear. And he is not a short handed with a variety of methods to get his truth and his heart communicated to his people. And in this case, he wanted to speak a message to a king named Asa. Now, Asa had just come off a military victory. He's into his reign, and he entered into a place in Israel where idolatry was all over the land. They were worshiping false gods. These were God's covenant people, Israel, and they were worshiping pagan deities. And along with that worship came all sorts of immoral practice, even violent practice, and that had brought condemnation to the nation. But God raised up Asa, and Asa started doing reformation work in the kingdom. And then, as he was doing all of this good work, the Ethiopians came against Israel with an army, an army according to chapter 14, numbering a million soldiers. A million soldiers in Ethiopia's army, started to advance towards Israel, and Asa did what wicked kings before him would not do. He humbled himself in the presence of the Lord. And you can go back and read his prayer in chapter 14. He said, Lord, they're coming against us. I don't know what we're going to do, but Lord, don't let them defeat you. That's some good strategy in your prayer life. Lord, we belong to you, and if they defeat us, it looks bad on you. So, Lord, glorify your holy name and help us to win the battle, which God did. The closing verses of chapter 14 tell you that the Lord won the battle on their behalf. So they're coming back into town. They're coming back to the territory after this great war. They're carrying with them all of the spoils of war. So it would have involved money. It would have involved clothes. It would have involved prisoners of war. It would have involved um, um, uh, uh, cattle and livestock, which will come into play later. So they're coming back in this awesome military march and this military parade and this great national moment of victory. So the, 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 the threshold is high right now in Israel. And look what God does. God speaks a word. Look in verse number one and two. The word involved a call to commitment. The Spirit of God, 
The Holy Spirit, he didn't just show up on Pentecost. He's always been active among God's people. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa, and he said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now, this, this prophet Azariah is mentioned nowhere else in Scripture. He's not one of the writing prophets. He's not a major prophet. He's not a minor prophet. He is one of the multitudes of prophets that were in Israel at that time that aren't included in the canon of Scripture, but they were ministering under the Spirit and the power of God. And so Azariah, a no-name guy, comes up into the middle of the parade and says under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to the king, in essence, he's saying, king, you've done really well. King, while you are honoring the Lord, the Lord is going to honor you. And, O King, while you fight the Lord's battles, you're going to win those battles. And, O King, I want all of Judah and all of Benjamin. So he moves from an individual to the entire population. He says, if we, if the the nation of Israel, the southern tribes, if we will remain with the Lord, we can count on his blessing on our life. When we go out to war, we're fighting his battles, and we will win those battles because we fight for his glory. But then he adds this. He says, but if you forsake him, you'll be fighting on your own. Now, we're not talking about salvation here. This is not a salvific point that this prophet's trying to make. He's talking about how things work in the kingdom. He's talking about how God works in not only their lives, but our lives. He's saying that the people of God who are walking with God in consecration, in humility, in obedience, those that are fighting the battles of the Lord, those that are living for the glory of the Lord, those that are no longer bowing down to false idols and giving themselves to lesser loyalties or priorities of the world or impulses of the flesh, he's saying when you consecrate yourself unto the Lord, you're going to be able to count on it. His presence will go before you. You will win. Now, friends, I don't know if you're, you're at a place in your life where you're ready to receive that, but you need to be. There's too many Christians apologizing for a holy confidence apologizing for walking in the power of God, apologizing for living with an expectation to overcome. And by the way, living in the power of God doesn't mean you don't have problems. How in the world can we ever be classified as overcomers if we don't recognize that we first must be undergoers? you got to undergo to overcome. And so what he's saying there is if you will be faithful and remain with the Lord, you're going to be able to count on his blessing. But if you walk away... If you forsake him, if you start bowing down at his idols most of the week and bowing down at, excuse me, at those false idols most of the week and yet trying to pretty things up on the Sabbath day, bowing down at the altar of Yahweh, then the the Lord is not going to prosper you. He's not going to bless you. He's not going to endorse your double-minded hypocrisy. That's what he's saying in essence. And so in one way, it's kind of like a, yeah, God's with us. But in another way, it's got this parenthesis statement that says, but you need to be careful. See, it's a perfect time for a warning like that. You see, listen, lots of people, lots, more people can withstand in faithfulness to God times of trouble than they can times of prosperity. It's unfortunate, but more people fall away when God begins to prosper them than people that fall away when God has got them in the crucible, when when they're just having to rely on him day by day. When God entrusts prosperity and blessing and victory and breakthrough, that's the real test of where we are with the Lord. 
Because we can start relying on the blessings. And it can cause us to go after the blessings and lean on the blessings and hide behind the blessings. And so what the Lord says is, you've done well. You're winning the victories. I'm going to be with you. You just stick with me. But if you choose to forsake me, don't count on my presence. Don't count on my protection. Don't count on my power. Now, friends, that doesn't even sound altogether theological to me. It sounds so reasonable. It just sounds reasonable that God would say, I love to bless you. It is my heart and my covenant to prosper you, to take care of you, to make you the head and not the tail. But if you're going to play games with me, then please don't dishonor me by counting on a blessing that you forfeited by your disobedience. So let's go further into it because it actually gets a lot better. He's going to give a little historical lesson here. Remember, this prophet's just raised up, and I'm not going to stay here long, but I do want to hit this. There's a pattern of Israel in the past here. He says, for a long time, Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. Now, we're not absolutely certain about what time Azariah was referring to, but he's given this general statement, this summary of seasons in Israel's history that are clearly evidenced in Scripture, where Israel would do exactly that. They would go through these cycles. They would get clobbered by the enemy, which would humble them. They'd call out to God. God would prosper them and bless them. They'd become strong. And in those years of strength, they would forget God. They'd go back to their sins. God would send another enemy. They'd get humbled. They'd cry out to God. And the cycle just went on and on. And so Azariah sums it up. He says, this has happened for a long time in Israel where they weren't with the true God. They had plenty of altars, but they didn't have the presence of the one true God. They didn't have a teaching priest. By the way, they always had priests and the priest had gone corrupt. God indicts them in various prophetic books of the Bible. The spiritual leaders had gone corrupt, and they were using God's ministry, God's kingdom, God's prophetic word, God's priestly calling. They were using it to enrich themselves at the moral and the the financial expense of the people. They would take the offerings and live off the offerings, and then they would indulge themselves with using their power and the position to literally seduce women, and, and all of these things are indicted in Scripture. So they had the position, but they didn't have the substance of what it meant to be a priest. And God said that happened, or the prophet said for God, that happened a lot in Israel's history, and he says, and they were without law. Whether that's talking about the Mosaic law, meaning that they, they might have had it written down, but they didn't have it written in their hearts, or whether it was just that they had abandoned all civil law. The the picture that's painted is this, is there was this pattern. Remember, these were not people outside of covenant with God. These weren't the the Philistines. These weren't all of the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Midianites and all of those. uh, These were the Israelites. These were the seed of Abraham. These were God's people, and God is saying through the prophet, Don't forget that this pattern has been happening all throughout our history. Look down at verses 4 through 6. So I like what the prophet does. The prophet doesn't just say, hallelujah, you're doing good, but give a warning. He doesn't just, you know, critique the past. He actually gives them something to consider, a course of action to consider in verses 4, 5, and 6. He says, now, when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and they sought him... There he was. He was found by them. In those times, there had been no peace to him who went out or him who came in. There were great disturbances afflicted on all the inhabitants of the lands. They were broken in pieces. 
Nation was crushed by nation, city by city, for God troubled them with every sort of distress. Now let's pause there for a moment. The prophet sang when they rebelled against the Lord, when they got seduced by these false gods, when in their prosperity and in their strength and in their season of blessing, they got overconfident. They started relying on their flesh. They started slowly moving away from the Lord. And how many of you know that's the way people move away from the Lord? It's usually, I've got a guy coursing through my mind right now, and I've watched him over the last year. I've watched him take a step. We'd talk to him. He'd take another step. We'd talk to him. We'd take another, he'd take another step. And I, 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 now I know where he is today, and he's nowhere he, where he was a year ago. How did it happen? It didn't happen because he made a big leap from faithfulness into disobedience. It, he migrated, and he didn't listen. But here's, here's, here's the the characterization of it. Azariah says, when those times take full control over a believer, this is what describes their life right here in these verses. In distress, no peace, greatly disturbed, broken, crushed, troubled. Let's just let it, let it be as heavy as it is. In those times and seasons where Israel moved away from the Lord and lived that way and did not respond to his chastisement, that, that season, whether it was a week, a month, a year, or a hundred years, it was described as people being in distress with no peace, who were greatly disturbed, who were broken, crushed, and troubled. Now, how many of us, if the devil walked up to us tomorrow and said, how'd you like to spend the next 12 months in distress? How'd you like to forfeit your peace? Would you like to enter into a season of being greatly disturbed or broken or crushed or troubled? We'd look at him and say, get thee behind me, Satan. I plead the blood of Jesus against you. I plead the blood of Jesus on my family. Ain't nobody talking me into that. But that's not how he operates. What happened to Israel is they did what Satan couldn't have done. They did it in their own hearts incrementally moving away from the Lord. But here's the beauty of it all. This is not Bad News Sunday, I promise. We're going to end shouting this morning. But you, listen, here's the principle. It's the bad news that makes the good news good. So if you don't hear the bad news, you're going to shrug at the good news. But when you, put, when you put a diamond against a really dark backdrop, that diamond looks brighter. I hadn't pulled the diamond out yet. I'm just showing you the backdrop right now. The diamond's coming, and here's a part of it right here. When in their distress... They called, that's verse 4, they turned to the Lord and they sought him. He was found of them. This is what I love about the Father. What I love about the Father is this. He'll let us do this stuff to ourselves. He'll let us mess up. I mean, y'all are looking really pious right now. Y'all just need to exhale. Because I know some of you have walked this out. I've been there. He'll let you make dumb decisions. He'll let you. Now, he'll warn you. He'll chastise you. He'll come after you. But if you've got your mind made up, if you're self-willed, if you're going to do it your way, if you're going to allow distance between you and the Lord, the Lord says, my daughter, my son, they've determined to do this. I'm just going to have to let them do it. And, and he does, and he lets you do it. But if you're saved, if you're truly born again, when that crushing comes, when that great disturbance comes, when that brokenness comes, where that distress finds you, you're going to eventually say, Daddy, Papa, Abba. And he says, I've been here the whole time. 
That's what I love about the Father. See, some of us grew up believing in a God that if we did X amount of things or this one big thing, and nobody can define what those things are, but we make this up and we preach it to ourselves, then we think, okay, he's gone and he's gone forever, and you will not find that in Scripture. This, this awesome God who's our Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's there, but he's going to wait on you to seek him. He's going to wait on you to call out to him. I feel like getting historical in my own testimony here, but I'm going to resist the urge. But I can tell you, there were many times, even before I was a believer, where the trouble got bigger than I could handle. And man, my prayer life took, took to a new level. <laughs> I need to preach this in the jail, not in the church on Sunday, because y'all don't get it. But there have been times where you just, you get hit so hard and, and you're just like, okay, Lord, this is it. It's New Year's Eve, 2017. I'm never going to do X, Y, and Z again. And you know, he's awesome. He's not fooled, but he's awesome. And he says, okay, I'm right here. I am right here. You want to start a new, you want to turn over a new leaf? You want to go into a new place with me? I'm right here. Yes, I do, Lord. And January 2nd comes around and you're back to the same old tricks. And Lord says, I'll be there on January 3rd. What, What am I trying to say? I'm just trying to tell some of you that think you've gone too far that you haven't. You haven't. He's too good. You say, Jeff, but I'm too bad. No, he's gooder than you are bad. Amen? He's just too good. He's not going to turn loose of you. Why? Because he is motivated within by his own glory and his own love. That's why he pursues you. He's just going to show you how incredibly powerful and faithful he is. And some of the most beautiful moments are, are when, when we run off to that far country and we stay there long enough and we find ourselves miserable in that far country and we think that he's so far away and he is literally only one broken syllable coming out of your mouth away. That's it. That's how good the Father is. So in verse number seven, I'm still in my first point. So all of this bad news historically, but look at verse number seven. He gets back to the good news, and he shows an opportunity for Israel to embrace. He's talking to Asa the king, and he says, but you, but you, you take courage, Asa. Don't let your hands be weak, for war, your work is going to be rewarded. Amen. So in the context of an encouragement attached to a little warning, uh, kind of paralleled with a a historical be careful thing. The prophet comes back and he looks Asa in the eye and he says, what you've been doing for the Lord, that's going to be rewarded. God's not, not overlooked it and he certainly has not forgotten it. So in other words, he's saying, Asa, keep doing what you've been doing. Your breakthrough is about to get fuller. I, I love thinking about that, friends. Some of you in, in the house and that will hear this later, You're serving the Lord in obscurity. You're serving the Lord in anonymity. You're serving the Lord and you feel like you're giving out a whole lot more than is coming in. You don't see yet all of the results that you believe for in your heart. 
You're, you're wondering in weaker moments, man, am I, am I just sowing in the wrong field? Am I, am I not doing enough? Am I doing too much? Is this just, and, and the enemy gets in there and your flesh gets in there and it becomes kind of this nasty stew in your mind and, and, and you're eating all that stuff and you're just thinking, nah, this, this is just not right. And the Lord just likes to break into us from an ancient obscure prophecy to the king of Israel. And I just hear this over our lives right now. He's saying this, that your work is going to be rewarded. So don't let your hands get weak, Asa. Don't let your hands leave off from doing what you've been doing. Don't let yourself talk you out of whatever it is that God's got. You just need to keep doing the right thing with the right motivation, and you trust the Lord for the results because the word over your life is, is you will be rewarded. Be encouraged this morning, brothers and sisters. I like the fact that he's calling Asa into something, and he's, he's not giving any details. He's, he's not giving all the clarity. This has been my theme for 2017. It's, it's from the whole year, it, it dominated my thinking. Clarity is overrated. Courage is what we need. And he says to Asa, your work's going to be rewarded. Just have some courage. Just keep pressing in. Just keep sowing. Just keep believing. Just keep waiting, but not waiting with like we do in 285 traffic, not, not that kind of waiting, but, but waiting with a posture of maybe it's today. It's going to be today. Today could be the day. And then don't get dis- disappointed if it's not today. You wake up, you get to do it all over again tomorrow. Now, it's not pie in the sky by and by. It's what the Bible calls endurance, which is a greatly underrated quality in Christian character. People are praying, Lord, I I want the Spirit of God on me. I want the power of God on me. And they think it's going to be always miracles, always signs, always wonders. You're going to pray in tongues for five hours and give a two-hour interpretation. And people are going to fall down on their face and they're going to get saved. And you're going to levitate into the kitchen when it's dinner time because you're so full of the Spirit. Oh, I want the power of God. And sometimes God says, I'm going to give you my power. I'm going to teach you the power of endurance. And endurance is not glamorous. Endurance is is not walking on water. Endurance is waiting in a ditch sometime. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, I I want you to know, the foremost quality of Jesus Christ in his earthly action, I believe, was the, the activity of endurance. He endured 30 years anonymously before he was released into a three and a half year ministry period. And as he gave unto the people and he served the people and he blessed the people and he healed the people and he raised some people from the dead. And as he taught the people and as he loved the people and as he did a paradigm shift on culture and as he, he, he freed the people from oppressive religion. In the end, the people said, crucify this man. And he endured all of that. And then when they, they brought him towards the cross, the Bible says he endured the cross. Why? For the joy that was set before him. You see, your endurance, your endurance is not a cul-de-sac. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a highway. It's taking you somewhere. So Asa, don't let your hands get weak. Asa, your work is going to be rewarded. Asa, be courageous, son. Every now and then we just need a little prophet to come out of the, 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 the woods and just love on us with some ferocity and say, hey man, you're not messed up, you're not wrong. Those doubts are lying to you, but you're exactly where you need to be. So take courage and don't let your hands leave off what they've been working on. Your work's going to be rewarded. 
verses 8 and 9. Not only does God speak a word, but God moves a heart very quickly. We see one who believed. Because Asa's just gotten this prophetic word. Will he despise it or will he receive it? Well, he's going to receive it. As soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Oded, he took courage. That was the only command. The only command given in, in the prophetic word was take courage. He didn't tell him anything else to do. He said, God's pleased with you. Be careful that you don't abandon God. Judah and Benjamin, I want all of you to hear this. He's with you. If you'll remain with him, if you leave him, you're on your own in the battle. And don't be like his story. And so he gives all of this stuff. And the only command in the prophetic word was now be courageous. And so Azariah obeyed the only command given to him. The Bible says uh, very plainly, he took courage. I like that because listen, God's offering courage all the time. But we have to take it. I, I think some of us got really uh, sideways on our views of the sovereignty of God. I'm a big sovereignty of God guy. I mean, listen, I just want to go ahead and tell you. He is in absolute control. He is in absolute authority. Say, I don't believe that, Jeff. Well, tell me who is then. If it's not him, who is it? It is absolutely him. But that does not mean that he does not allow us and call us and command us to steward portions of our own life. And one of these things is, is God is generous and God loves to give and God makes manifold promises, but they lay there dormant until you take them. They don't become a gift to you. They can be a gift until you take them. We were walking through somewhere during Christmas and Man, they like to feed us during Christmas time. Good night alive. I felt like people were just throwing food at me. Best thing I ate this Christmas was Trey Lewis's deer jerky. Boy, that was good, Trey. That was some good stuff. But you know what? It was sitting in a box on my desk. I could take the lid off the box and I could say, that's going to be good. That's going to be great. That's going to be tasty. Poor Bambi had to give up something for me to be able to eat that. That's going to be good. That's, Trey Lewis gave me that. That's mine. That is my gift. That is my deer jerky. And I could have put the lid back on it and walked away. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Dustin stole half of it. <laughs> Did you repent this morning? You need to repent, man. My point being is this. It does me no good to have that gift offered to me if I put a lid on it and never touch it. It isn't really mine. I don't get to experience the full intent behind that delicious stuff until I take it piece by piece, pound by pound, and start ingesting that taste. I'm getting hungry right now. Just start eating that stuff. That, now listen, that's a very simple way to illustrate the fact that a lot of people are walking through their Christian life right now. And it's like, well, God's not really doing much in my life right now. Some people get bitter with God. God hasn't done anything for me. Let me just ask you a gentle question. Have you met him where he is to receive what he offers? Yeah. A lot of people don't experience the presence and the power and the provision of the Lord because they're off in left field saying, meet me here with what I want. And God's saying, I'm actually working over here. And what I've got, if you'll just come and meet me where I am to receive what I have, then you're going to be blessed. And a lot of people stay over there and they just stay in their own little territory wondering why God's not meeting them there. Well, because friends... Um, Listen, his plan's better than ours. He's offering some of you courage. You say, well, Jeff, I just don't feel it. Well, well, hold on a second. Wait a minute now. It doesn't say that he felt courageous. It says that he took courage. 
You'll feel courageous after you take courage. And, and listen, you only need courage when something's intimidating you. You can't have courage if you're staying in your comfort zone. You don't need it. He'll call you out of your comfort zone. He'll call you out of the boat and onto the waves. And, and in that moment where your foot goes over the side of the boat, you're taking courage. And as you step on the waves, you'll feel courageous. And he's calling some of you to do that. I want to tell you, it's a new year upon you. And I promise you something. I'm just going to promise this, promise this over everybody in the room, anybody that hears this. God's intention is not to leave you safe and comfortable where you are today by the end of the year. He will not do it. I promise you. He's too good to leave you in yesterday. You tapped out yesterday. It's over. It's done. He's not working there anymore. He's actually completely done with yesterday, with last year, with the, with the early 2000s, with the 90s, 80s, 70s, 60s, 50s, 40s. He's just done. It may have been great. It may have been glorious. But if you're looking back there, you're looking at history. You're not looking at what he's doing in the present. And if you want to step into what he's doing in the present, you and I, we have to emulate Asa, and we better take some courage. So how do you take it? Well, you take it by faith. You literally start saying, I'm going to act courageously, even when I don't feel courage. And that's exactly what Asa did. Look at the rest of the verses. I said I wasn't going to stay long on this one, but this is just too good. We see one who believed... And we see one who took initiative. He acted on it. He put away the detestable idols from all of the land of Judah and Benjamin, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. Very quickly here. So in that day when you were worshiping a foreign god, you had an image of that god. You know, I mean, God had told the people, don't bow down before any graven image. Don't have any other gods before me. So they were sinning all over the place. And now Asa's saying, I'm going to go God-toppling. I'm going to go out there and, and tip some sacred cows. I'm going to go out there and knock them over. And so he went out and he, listen, he just legislated reformation in the land. Now, what's about to happen in a moment is attached to this moment. Because we're about to talk about breakthrough. We're about to talk about joy. We're going to talk about in just a moment worshiping and just rejoicing corporately. But it is not independent of an intense scrutiny of our heart and getting rid of the idols that are within. This is why revival tarries right now. Revival doesn't tarry because God's just waiting on the perfect moment. God's waiting on us. God's waiting on his people. He wants revival to break out on planet earth more than you do. Why? Because revival brings him great glory. But the church is lifting one hand in Sunday worship while they're holding their idols in their other hand. Yeah, this is the not fun part, but it's the critical part. And so the dropping of the idols is something that God called Asa to begin to do. And so he did it. That's why he needed courage. You start messing with a man's idols, you're going to get in trouble. And Asa was doing it all across the land. And so as he did this, he also did something proactive. The Bible says that he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in the vestibule in the house of the Lord. Listen, Israel had moved so far away that the very God-ordained instrument that they were to offer their sacrifices unto Yahweh on was broken. The vehicle by which they offered sacrifices to the one true God had been broken in some way and it had fallen into disuse and disrepair. 
And so that was, that's, it's emblematic of where the nation had gone. They had lost their altar. And so Asa says, if we're going to consecrate ourselves unto the Lord, we need our place of worship back. We need our place of sacrifice back. We need our place of atonement back. We need to get righteous before we get rallied. And so they repaired the altar of the Lord. That's connected to something that's coming in a minute. And then in verse number nine, we see one who received favor. Because it's one thing for the leader to get his truck cranked and he's ready to motor. But look at what happens in verse nine. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who were residing with them. Watch this. For great numbers had deserted to Asa when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So Asa had been doing some light reformation work. Asa had been calling the people back to God for a number of years. But now God was telling him to step it up and finish the job. But during that time, some people from the northern tribes, Manasseh and Simeon and, and the other, they, they had said, we're leaving our tribes because we see God working in the southern kingdom through Asa. We're going to break off from our tribalism. We're going to say goodbye to our lesser loyalties. We're not going to be affiliated anymore with our blood ties above our kingdom ties. And he literally, the Bible says, as people began to witness God's hand on Asa and Asa's commitment to the Lord, they left the northern tribes. They broke off their loyalties. They didn't care what their family said. They didn't care what their kinsmen said. They didn't care what their culture said. They didn't care what their community said. They said, no, we want to be where God is working, and God's not working in the northern part of Israel. God's working in the southern part of Israel, and we're going down there to Asa, and Asa received favor from God. I want to tell you something. When we consecrate ourselves unto the Lord— when we tear down the idols, and I'm not going to go through a long list, some, some man-made list of what you or I need to tear down in our lives. The Holy Spirit will tell us what we need to tear down in our lives. And if we'll listen to them, those idols will be torn down, and the space in our hearts that they occupied will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'll be living lives that are empowered, and lives that are sanctified, and lives that are holy, and lives that are joyful. And the byproduct of that is people will be attracted to it like they were to Asa. People will want what you have at work. People will want what you have at school. People will want what you have at the ball field. They'll want what you have in the church parking lot. They'll want what you have because there is something magnetic about a person who is walking in joyful consecration unto the Lord. People say, I don't know what she's got, but I know I need some of that. And they will say, that's more important than anything else I got going on. I'm going to give you this as a quick prophetic word. Here's something I know. This year, God will call some of you out of your formal loyalties that have owned you. He will call you out of tribalism. This culture wants to define us and squeeze us into tribes. Jeff, you're in the middle-aged tribe. Stick with the middle-aged. You're a Gen Xer. You just, you're a Gen Xer. That's your identity. Jeff, you're white. You stick with the white tribe. Jeff, you're middle-income America. You stick in middle-income America. Jeff, you're a conservative politically. And they'll try to stuff us in that thing. And I'm going to tell you, you get full of the Spirit, you don't fit in anybody's box anymore. You'll start just saying, oh, this ain't big enough for me. Let me get on out of here. You say, oh, yeah. You'll start breathing. And, and you'll say goodbye to your tribe. 
And they're going to call you every name in the book. They're going to call you a sellout. They're going to tell you that you're doing this and this and you ought to be doing this and this. And all, all you're going to be able to say to yourself, because they're not going to listen to you when you say whatever you need to say. You just say to yourself, you know what? I'm actually trying to be where God is working. I'm trying to walk where God is walking. And all I know is that my tribe is not sufficient for what he's doing in my soul. And so you, you do. You jettison lesser loyalty. Some of you are going to come to that crossroads within 60 days of this message. There's going to be people in your family. There's going to be people in your culture. There's going to be people at work. And you're going to have to make a decision. Am I a kingdom man, a kingdom woman, or am I going to be stuck in this tribe doing the same old thing the rest of my life? So let me get down to the very last couple of verses. Y'all are great. It's funny I say that. It's not like I leave you a choice. I mean, you can leave if you want to, but I'm going to preach until I'm done. Amen. I never get mad when people have to leave, by the way. God awakens his people, verses 10 through 15. This is so good. We see an expression of submission and sacrifice in verses 10 and 11. So he's called all of the people together, and it says they were gathered at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of the reign of Asa. Now, what did they do that day? They sacrificed to the Lord. On that day, from the spoil that they had brought, Spoil from what? That war against the Ethiopians. They took some of it, 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. Now, we, we don't live in a culture, nor do we relate to God by animal sacrifices. The, Jesus, of course, fulfilled all of that. He was the perfect lamb of God. We don't need physical lambs anymore. We don't need the blood of bulls and goats anymore. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, when he spilled his blood, atoned for sin. And when you place your faith in him, the Lamb of God, the blood that he spilled, wipes away your sin forever. And his righteousness is placed upon you. So we don't deal with the blood of bulls and goats and oxen and sheep anymore. We have the blood of the Lamb of God, which is sufficient to cleanse us from every stain. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ this morning, at the end of this message, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come forward. I don't want you to think about anything else. I want you to come forward. There'll be some people down here, and I want you to say, I am ready to commit my life to Jesus Christ because his blood has paid for your sin. Your sin is the only thing that is getting in the way of a relationship between you and God. And that sin must be dealt with. And Jesus's blood is what pays for that sin. Now in this day and age, in Asa's day, they had a, a whole system of sacrifices. So think about this. I mean, good night alive. 700 oxen were slaughtered. Where, do, where were they slaughtered? They were put upon that altar that he just rebuilt. You see, it wasn't just prettying up the, the temple. That altar had a purpose. Those animals needed to be sacrificed. Atonement needed to, to come in for that year. And so they did that. 700 oxen and 7,000 lambs. It's a picture of an extreme, lavish sacrifice. I, I love the fact that God had not told them, I want 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. I love the fact that he wanted their heart, and he knew if he had their heart then they would, their action would be sufficient. So Asa had gone after the heart. He had cleansed the land of the idols. And now when the sacrifice came, it was what they joyfully and willingly brought. And it was lavish. They went all in, brothers and sisters. I'm going to tell you, when, when we reach this crossroads of where we are with the Lord, 
there's going to come a point where you've got to say, is it worth the sacrifice? He wants all of you. He is so not interested in 99% of my heart. He's just not. It's unsatisfactory to him. He wants all of my heart, 100%, all in. And what happens is we get in the emotion and we get in the movement and we get in the moment and, and we say, yes! And God says, I love you, child. You need to know this right off the bat. It's going to cost you. I love the fact that he doesn't lie to us. Beware of any ministry or preacher or teacher that, that, that avoids telling you that there is a cost in living out your commitment to Jesus. If there's no cost, it's not a genuine life for Christ. Now, I can't tell you what that cost is or when it's going to come, but I can tell you something, that if we're going to follow in the footsteps of the Messiah, he paid the cost. He paid the cost for us. We will count the cost and pay it for his glory in our generation. And so we see that there. And they sacrificed to the Lord on that day from all of the spoil that they had brought. Now, look in verse number 12. I'm almost done, I promise you. There was a devotion and humility and hunger. And here's where I want us to be. Oh, Lord, put unction on this. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all of their heart and with all of their soul. Nowhere was this commanded. Nowhere was it detailed to Asa. It was when the people came together and they saw the sacrifices being made for their sin. And they nationally were repenting before the Lord. It wasn't enough for them to have their past dealt with. They started thinking about the present and the future. And they said, we need to reaffirm our covenant with Yahweh. We need to enter into a covenant. And Lord, here's, what, here's all we can promise. We will seek you with everything that's within us. They didn't make them a promise of, I'll do this for you, I'll do this for you, I'll do this for you. They just said, Lord, you've sought our hearts, you've found it, and our response is to echo back to you what you have done to us. We now seek you with all of the heart. In 2018, no more half-stepping. Don't dabble in God and immerse yourself in other stuff. Immerse yourself in him and let that be sufficient. Some of what you're going to experience from his hand is fully dependent on you making a moment, a personal covenant with him saying, Lord, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The world's behind me and the cross is before me. I have decided to follow him. No church attendance, no token reverence. I'm talking about a wholehearted release of yourself to the Lord in a way that you've never done before. When you do that, you're going to find two things. You're going to find that God is more glorious than you ever imagined, and he's going to do something that you never thought would happen. He's going to introduce you to the you he created you to be. You're going to find out who you're supposed to be, but it's always on the back end of saying, Lord, I'm weak. I'm feeble at times. I tend to struggle. I already know I'm not going to be perfect, 
but I'm not going to let any of those realities stop me. I'm coming before you, and I'm going to covenant with you to seek you with everything in my heart. When I stumble, you'll bring me back up again. When I disobey, I will be humbled and I will repent. You see, it was this humility, but it was also this hunger. They said, Lord, we're going to enter into this covenant. That's humility. That means when you recognize he's worthy, not of our our token kind of playing around with kingdom stuff, but he's worthy for us to enter into a covenant. That means it's on us to say, I will. I'm not going to let my mama do it for me or my spouse do it for me or my husband do it for me, or my preacher do it for me. I love all those people, but Lord, today it's me and you, and I'm going to enter into a covenant with you. As frail as I might feel, Lord, I know you're worthy of even my frail heart, so I give it to you. See, that's the humility. But the hunger is, and Lord, I want to do it with everything that's within me. Friends, that's where breakthrough awaits you. It's in that moment. Verse 12, excuse me, 13. Worship team, y'all come on up, please. It came with a dedication to purity and protection. This is kind of graphic, but it, it illustrates something important. Whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, should be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. Those who would cling to their idols, those who refused to worship only the one true God of Israel. This was nothing new. It was in the Levitical law. It's in the book of Deuteronomy that if they chose to worship detestable idols, then the penalty for that was death. And what does it picture? It pictures this, that anything in our lives that is given to idols is a doorway to death into the rest of our life. See, that's why there is a call to militant holiness. And and we do a much better job of, of scouting out holiness in other people's lives. Friend, come on, retire that finger. Holster that bad boy. Turn in your badge. You are not the sheriff of Christiantown. (laughs) But I encourage you, get intense about your own heart. If you're given to certain propensities, don't believe the lie that says, well, that's just a part of who you are. And certainly don't say, well, that's the way that God made me. No, friends, get intense about that thing. Put it to death. That's what that represents to the New Testament believer. Don't try to reach a, a peace treaty with broken parts of your flesh. We don't mollify the flesh, we crucify the flesh. And crucifixion is harsh. But the end result is that thing that's crucified dies. And so if there's parts of our lives that are breeding death, then kill the killer. The last, very last thing. There was a revelation, excuse me, a celebration of revival and rest. This is what I love. Through all of this hard stuff, look at the end result. You'd think it would saddle them down with weight and doom and gloom, but look at the end result. So they swore an oath to the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting, with trumpets, with horns. And all of Judah rejoiced over their oath. Why? Because... For the first time in a long time nationally, they had sworn with all of their heart and sought them, sought him with their whole desire. And he was found by them and the Lord gave them rest all around. You see, they tapped into something that they had never tapped into before as a generation. What it means to completely go all in for the glory of the Lord. 
They backed it with an oath. They didn't, you know, it wasn't with ashes and sackcloth and, you know, fasting and beating themselves. They said, no, we, we're just stepping into victory. They said to the praise team, y'all got some horns. Y'all got some horns. Start playing something. Start playing no longer slaves. That's what we want to start playing that. And the, the trumpeteers and the hornmasters and the celebration and the worship team, they, they came together and the people started experiencing the back end of what it means to go all in with the Lord. The Holy Spirit said, I can bless that heart. I can bless that heart. I can bless that heart. I can bless the heart of Israel for the first time in a long time. And I'm going to start breeding some fruit. Matter of fact, I think I'm going to start with the fruit of joy. And it hits the nation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite you to stand to your feet. I know the Lord's working on some of your hearts. I know it. That's an awesome thing. Thank God he doesn't leave us alone. If he's working on your heart right now, he's offering you something. He's offering you something. You have to take it. Asa was being offered courage. He took courage, then he had courage. The people ring offered revival, but God first offered them repentance. If they hadn't taken the repentance, they never would have experienced the revival. So their hunger resulted in their humility. They wanted revival. They wanted God. And they said, we're going to enter into a covenant. We don't know how to do all of this. But Lord, you've got our whole heart. Everything within us. We enter into a covenant. We're going to seek you. We want to know you. We want what you want. And Lord, we trust your heart. And they sacrificed the animals. Their sin was atoned for. And God produced joy in the midst of a nation that had known nothing but toil and struggle for decades. Don't you want to walk in that? Aren't you tired of that old moldy wineskin that has long been dry of new wine? Aren't you ready to say, yes, Lord? Ministry team, I want you to come forward. I'm going to pray. And the worship team's going to lead us. I'm going to tell you, there's nothing you can't come forward for this morning. You need help with anything. Addiction, you come this morning. Healing in your body, you come this morning. If you've got a, a chronic injury, a pain, a sickness, a bad report from the doctor, you come this morning. Take courage and come this morning. You've got a family that's fallen apart. Humble yourself. Let your hunger produce your humility. You come and let us enter into it. And if you've never trusted Christ this morning, his blood is sufficient. You can walk out of here free today. Lord, now, come. Holy Spirit, come. Come.